0: This is the Evergreen Empire. Green grow the forests and fair flow the streams. The gentle deer grazes, the wild blossom gleams. From ocean wave raging to mountain serene, all nature's proclaiming our land's evergreen.
1: Welcome to Columbia Conversations. I'm Felix Bennell, editor of Columbia Magazine for the Washington State Historical Society. On this episode, we look at very recent history and speak with Q13 and Fox weather meteorologist Scott Sistek, who closely tracked the heat dome that hit the Pacific Northwest in late June and early July 2021.
0: It is hotter than it has ever been in Chicago 105, uh, Boston 104. So you think of these cities that are like traditionally pretty hot, now Seattle's been hotter.
1: I spoke with Scott Sistek by phone from his home north of Seattle. Joining us on Columbia Conversations is Scott Sistek with Q13 here in Seattle and with Fox Weather. Now, um, Scott, thanks for taking time to be on Columbia Conversations. Sure, glad to be here. It's really exciting to talk about. And what I really am excited about is you know, we just lived through this thing called the Heat Dome. I don't think it really has an official name that is stuck yet but it's so fresh in people's minds. I love the idea of being able to talk about something that's obviously historic and will be considered historic for a long time, probably, but while it's still fresh in everyone's minds and with somebody who's an expert on the science part of it, like you. So what what was it that we just lived through in the last uh, 10 days or so ago here in the Pacific Northwest?
0: Boy, we're still trying to, like, you know, gather the pieces of what happened and, and pour over the data as well, because it, it really was something unprecedented. And, you know, we talk about, You know, we toss that word around a lot, especially lately. It's just like, you know, it's unprecedented. I've never seen this before. But this was a heat wave that went beyond the scope of any local meteorologist or even national meteorologist would even think was remotely possible here. And I know when we were kind of leading up to it, you know, I guess that's part of the story was that our forecast models actually picked up on this several days in advance, like a week ahead of time. They started sounding this alarm of like, it's gonna be well over hundred in Seattle for multiple days and, and some places are gonna be over 110. And we looked at it going, okay, there's obviously something wrong with the forecast charts. There's there's some bad data in here. You know, we don't know what's wrong. I know they just had done some changes to our national uh, models in the last couple of years. And we're starting to think, oh my goodness, is there something that's calibrated? It's like, okay, it's gonna be hot, but you know, we're seeing these numbers like 111, 114. <laughs> you know, multiple days over a hundred. And it's like, okay, that just can't happen. And I know then the next day the model comes out, same thing. Next <laughs> day it comes out, same thing. And people are starting, you know, there's a lot of armchair meteorologists out there that can see these models. <laughs> and they're like, this has got to be crazy, right? Is this going to happen? And we're like, it's not going to happen. It's, you know, we're thinking, okay, maybe a hundred, you know, how many times have hit a hundred in Seattle before three. And when it's like a hundred, a hundred and three are on there, we had another, a uh, hundred degree reading back in the old days of the federal building. And so you're looking at, you know, we have 150 some odd years of Seattle history to work off of, of temperatures and there's nothing anywhere close to this, like orders of magnitude, not even close.
1: The
0: the model thing
1: was interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that because I I watch, I follow you on social media and I remember the, it was a few years ago when Seattle had its first sort of social media snowstorm where people were posting pictures of you know, rulers stuck in the snow on their back decks. And, um, you know, you could see sort of micro conditions around the the area just based on what people were saying and, and posting pictures of. But I like what you were doing during this event because um, in talking about those models, you know, it, I, I, I'm in my early 50s. And I will admit to having one day in the past, having wanted to be a TV meteorologist. And I interned with Jeff Renner back in 1988. And part of my job was tearing paper off of a teletype, mm-hmm. you know, and pinning mm-hmm. things to the wall. Yep. And nobody had access to the information other than, you know, the weather service or someone at the airport or, you know, the King 5 there in the in the basement at the old place along Dexter. But now all this data is online. And as you said, there's all these armchair meteorologists weighing in. And the um, that discussion about the models was really interesting because it really did. These models are used pretty much every day. And there's multiple computers and multiple organizations that have these models that predict weather out a week or a few weeks in advance. And there was that skepticism and that doubt, but then it sort of kind of eroded away and sure enough the models end up being right. I guess I guess that's encouraging about science, right?
0: Yeah, it was encouraging that the models picked up on this because if it had been just humans looking at it, we would have probably discounted a lot of it. We would have been like, you know, okay, this just can't be. And and luckily the models have stuck with it. Now there was there's an there's like the American model was going even farther out on the limb than we ended up. So it was, you know, that was part of the equation here was, you know, okay, Seattle's all-time record high was 103, and that happened once. And most of the time, if we get in heat wave, it's the upper 90s. And this model was predicting 117 in Seattle, 118, 119. I think we even had a couple show up as 120 in the Puget Sound area in the southeast, uh, parts like King County and out there. And so now we're thinking like, okay, this is hotter than Las Vegas has ever been. What, you know, what's going on? And then as it got closer and closer, that one American model was still, even to the day of and the day before, was still going 117. But most of the other ones were kind of like, okay, 107, 109, which still, you know, shattering all-time records. But it seemed like, okay, well, if we're going to do it, at least it's, you know, especially after we had hit 102 and 104 the days before, it's like okay, well now the hundred barriers totally shattered, and this these haven't even hit the hottest day yet. Mm-hmm. So now we're starting to believe it, but it was I guess it was a win for the models in picking up that it was going to be <laughs> such a historic, you know, event, uh, even if some of
1: the details weren't quite right. That's crazy, and so why did it happen? Is there is there an easy explanation for what happened last week?
0: Well, we kind of know what happened. Uh, at That part. It was, you know, that part we're still, you know, getting a pretty good grasp on. That's why it happened is still everyone's kind of shaking their head. But it was just it was a record uh, strength ridge of high pressure, like numbers that we have never seen anywhere close to in the Pacific Northwest. And these type of high pressure systems are more common down in like the four corners region of the desert, like the Arizona's, the New Mexico's, the Nevada's. That's why they get to 111, 115 in the summertime. You know these ridges pop up. They create a lot of hot air. They create a lot of subsidence, and and you know you have a desert. But this time that ridge popped up and set up shop right in southern British Columbia, which is not where these are supposed to set up. And then it put us on kind of like you know a ridge in itself is hot, but we were kind of on the hottest side of it because the way the air flows around a ridge of high pressure, it was bringing in air from the Northeast and East, which is where it's already hot and dry. And so it was like hot from the ridge and then even hotter with this wind coming in. And if just like, if you had to design a perfect storm of heat, this would have been it. But I I contend that if you would have last year, you know, gathered up all the meteorologists, maybe not even just in the Northwest, maybe just like even, you know, in the United States, get all the scholars together and say, design the worst case scenario heat wave for the Pacific Northwest and give us your predicted highs for Seattle and Portland. They would have undercut this. Wow. I I would have thought like, if you would have asked me, it's like, what was the hottest Seattle could possibly be? I would have been like maybe 105 or 106. I know when we hit 103, there were some spots in the city that hit 105. Uh. And so it's like, that was at the time we thought that was such an extreme anomaly. Like this will never happen again. And now we went, you know, a couple orders of magnitude beyond that.
1: Now, I remember that last time we crossed over 100 was back in 2009. I think it was in late July, so which is kind of the more traditional time of year when you see the hot temperatures. Was what happened in 2009 kind of a junior version of what happened last week? Was there that ridge and those sort of uh, downslope winds and stuff, or was it something yes, totally
0: different? It, it was similar. It was a ridge that was kind of up there. It was a little more of a traditional, you know, this one, this current one was just like, a big heat dome right over BC. The 2009 one, from what I remember, was more of like an entire West Coast ridge that we just kind of got part of it, because I think a lot of the West Coast was pretty hot then, and uh, it wasn't quite as strong of a ridge, and it was, gosh, I'm trying to remember because it's been so long ago, (laughs) but it had to do with, you know, it took a couple days to warm up, and then the big thing that helped us get to 103 that day was uh, it was kind of muggy, so that night before it did not cool very well. It only got down to, like, 71. Uh-huh. So we had the launching point. We started out kind of warm, and then the heat hit. And we weren't starting from, like, 62. We were starting from, you know, 9 degrees warmer. Got it. And away we went. So it was, it was kind of similar, but uh, this one was just, you know, Unbelievable. And when that happened, I don't think, I don't remember what exactly happened in British Columbia, but they weren't cooking at 115, 120.
1: And and generally speaking, I mean, in the summer, we have high pressures more common and high pressure tends to be more associated with clear skies and nice weather. Mm -hmm. And low pressure tends to be associated with sort of more unsettled conditions that allow for moisture uplift and creation of clouds and that sort of thing in storm systems. But this was something that this this high pressure ridge you're talking about, it actually helped... uh, it helped boost the temperatures because of the way it was changing the airflow and from where it was positioned?
0: Yes. And it's the only way that we get hot here is we have to keep back the marine, the, you know, the ocean winds, uh, any kind of trickle of marine air. And that, you know, the Pacific Ocean's in the 50s, the water temperatures in the 50s year round. So think of that as just like this massive air conditioner that just sits offshore. And so the only way we hold that back is if you kind of get like this east wind and that was what happened with this the high pressure will cause sinking air and as air sinks it kind of warms up so you kind of get this dome that was already you know super intense dome you know record record high pressure uh, that was pushing down kind of it was almost like raining air from above if you want to think about it Mm -hmm. it's not exactly like that but like you know heat air sinking from above so it's getting warmer that way. Now we're getting a little bit of east wind. That's coming from hot and dry areas. And then we get a third boost here when it comes down the Cascades and the Olympic Mountains. Um, As air sinks, it, it gets hotter and drier. And so that was adding like another layer of heating to all this. So we've had like several layers of heat and then that whole big refreshing you know, natural air conditioning that's just sitting tantalizingly right <laughs> off the coast can't get here because that east wind acts like a wall. It just keeps pushing it back and pushing it back. Yeah. And I was surprised because most of the charts seem to suggest that the immediate coastlines were going to escape the heat. And it was going to be warm on the coast, but it wasn't going to be ridiculously hot. And I think a whole bunch of people ran to the coast thinking, oh, it'll only be in the 80s here. <laughs> and then it turned out that the east wind was you know, more potent than we thought. And the coast baked just as bad if not worse in spots over there and i know like Hoquiam hit gosh i think Hoquiam went over 100 they were like 102 103 wow and then if you want to talk about some time like the forks hitting 110 is just like that was the poster child of how broken this heat wave was wow
1: yeah, what were some of the other highlights or lowlights? in statistically, do you have the numbers there in front of you for some
0: of the the big I high temperatures do, around the area? Okay, I have I have all the crazy numbers here. Okay. So we'll start with <laughs> we'll start with Seattle and Seattle, of course, you know, the big Kahuna around here. Uh, it hit 102 on Saturday, then 104 on Sunday, which broke the all time record high, which normally would be big fanfare, and it turns out to be second fiddle because on Monday it hit 108. Oh. So that is now our God. new standard, which I don't. I'm going to go out on a limb and think we're never going to get there again. It's not in our lifetimes, <laughs> but we'll see. So Seattle at 108, this was some of my favorite stats that I was updating. Um, it is hotter than it has ever been in some of these other cities like Atlanta. Their all-time <laughs> record high is 106. Washington, D.C., also 106. Chicago, 105. Uh, Boston, 104. Wow. So you think of these cities that are like traditionally pretty hot. Now Seattle's been hotter. And then Portland went... Next level, you know, insanity here. They hit 116 on Monday, which broke their all-time record high by nine degrees. It had only been 107 was their all-time high before. Wow. And they went to 116. So Portland now can brag that it's been hotter there than Sacramento and Los Angeles (laughs) and Dallas and Austin. (laughs) All of those cities have never been to 116, and they were only a degree short of Las Vegas' all-time record, which was 117.
1: I, I'm laughing because I'm sitting in my cool basement now and kind of yep. recalling how hot it was. Even down in wow. my basement, by the time it got to be Monday night, we had nowhere to go in my house. We were just – we were miserable everywhere. So um yeah. I mean, those numbers. Now, I've heard someone describing this as sort of a a millennial occasion, like it, it won't happen for another 900 years. And I've looked at snowstorm history before, and we had this incredible winter of 1861, 1862 that also seems like something that only happens every thousand years or so. But what I love about it is that it reminds me a little bit about how people who are really into baseball or into statistics like batting averages and that sort of thing of their favorite players going back 100 years. Weather um, and the kind of the way that you approach weather, which I love, I love the stuff you've done with your different blog posts and the way you've kind of talked about historical weather events in the Pacific Northwest. Weather seems to be, have a real element of history and data mixed into understanding the present and the future. Why, why is that? What's your experience been kind of incorporating weather into, the, or excuse me, incorporating history into the way you talk about weather?
0: Well, it kind of gives us some perspective of just how, I think part of it is like perspective of how the planet works, of just, you know, how you could like this traditional climate and then you get these extremes on here but for me i'm a numbers guy i love looking up these stats and you know as terrible as that heat wave was there was some sort of just like living through this like realizing what you're going through right now is something that you know is multi-generational as far as not seeing this sort of thing and it just seeing all these numbers from the past just tells you how rare this was that you know we have records back to like i said the 18 some of the very early structures of the 1860s and 70s and like actual daily data back to like the 1890s. And, you know, we were pretty good at measuring temperatures and, and weather conditions and wind and, and, and all that. And just like none of this has been anywhere close to that. It really puts in perspective of just how historic this heat wave was and also just how rare it can be. But also maybe that there's a lot to our climate that we don't know about that you know, there are some of these events that happen on timescales that are much longer than, you know, generational timescales, maybe even lifetime scales or maybe even multiple lifetime scales that I'm sure if you went back to, I don't know, the 1500s, the 1300s, it may have hit 100 and, 108 in Seattle before. And so it's, you know, that kind of puts it in perspective for me of like, it's just a way to quantify and it's also a way to able to explain, you know, better explain to people just, you know, how weather works and how rare this is. And and for me, it's just like, hey, you're living through something that you know your parents and grandparents never went through, and maybe your kids and grandkids won't go through either. Uh you know, for future I guess generations in that sense. But uh just you know that sort of thing. Like I, I was joking with somebody, it's like this is going to be our old guy on the lawn moment. You know, when we're in, you know, we're like in the in the retirement home talking to the grandkids and the great kids. Like back in my day, it was a hundred in Seattle, yeah. and we it, it was a hundred degrees in our house, and and you know all. I, I heard from one of my friends that like deodorant melted in their bathroom. Yeah, like the, that, that crazy.
1: The melting. I remember hearing at one point during this, like uh, that the um, the freezing level based on the radio radiosonde launch from Quillayute was at eighteen thousand feet. Yeah,
0: eighteen two hundred and change.
1: And, and was it was it um, was it unwarranted for me to start worrying about Mount Rainier at that point? Well, I know
0: Rainier had it, it was its, it was in the sixties at Camp Muir, which is at ten thousand feet. Wow! Uh, they don't obviously don't have a gauge at the top of Mount Rainier, but they were estimating temperatures at the summit in the forties. Wow! Which is unheard of. And then uh, we did have a whole lot of snowmelt, and I if you look at uh, shameless plug if you look at the Q thirteen uh, weather blog, I did a story. there's a there's some satellite imagery of the before and after of all the the mud and the silt that melted off all the mountains around here, going through the rivers and dumping into Puget Sound. You could see like this brown silt, like dumping in off the Puyallup into you know Tacoma's waterway, and then there was some you could you could actually see the Skagit River turn brown as it dumped into like Tulela uh, Bay oh, up man. north. Wow, and it was really something. But I know that uh, I think it was Paradise Ranger Station, the snow gauge up there which is, what, about 5,400 feet up Mount Rainier, and uh, they lost 30% of their snowpack in four days.
1: Now, see, that makes me worry. <laughs> is that, I mean, sh- should we be yeah. worried about that for this season or for f- long, short-term, long-term? What's the What are the possible ramifications of that kind of melt?
0: Well, I think we're okay. We had enough water. Luckily, it was a pretty snowy winter in the mountains. We were above normal in the snowpack, and so I think we had plenty up there, even with that massive melt off we were doing okay because even you know paradise was looking at like a later than normal melt out usually they lose all their snow by about mid-july early to mid-july and we were on pace to go kind of beyond that before the heat wave now the heat wave hit will probably end up somewhere right around average maybe a couple of days before but not too extreme so everything i've seen seems to suggest that like water supplies are okay you know we did if had this been a super dry winter like 2003 where there was hardly any snow at Snoqualmie and then that came through we might be really hurting but I think luckily um, I think the winter kind of gave us a you know kind of patted us against some of the major like long-term impacts from that heat wave. Oh,
1: well, that's reassuring. Okay, good. Um, and then since this is a historical document, people can play this audio back 100 years from now, and, and they can say whether you were right or not. So that's good. Right. Um, so you're on the they'll, record.
0: <laughs> they'll know if I say like, oh, Seattle will never go to hundred eighty. It's like, remember that big heat wave of 2048? What was
1: Scott thinking? Yeah. So, I mean, where does this fit into the, the, the climate change debate, which in some ways shouldn't be a debate at all, but in terms of understanding climate change and reacting to climate change, responding, what does this tell us or what is this what is what information does this give us for moving forward?
0: It's it's still under a lot of research that, you know, with climate change heat waves will become more frequent and when heat waves happen they'll probably they'll start drifting higher and higher. Now this particular event was so far beyond that, you know, it was probably gonna happen no matter what. It's just what at what magnitude would it have hit had you know had the earth not been warming a degree in the last you know few decades here you know would seattle have hit 108 probably not would it have hit 105 it might I so i think it's you know we talk more about you know heat waves will become more common and when they happen they'll start gradually bumping higher and higher now that doesn't mean, necessarily mean that things like this event are going to start happening every other year every five years or even every 10 years it just means that you know when these events happen they may be a few degrees hotter than they would have been without climate change. Like if you'd have taken this pattern and put it back in 1940, what would have happened? It probably still would have happened. It still would have been record shattering heat. It just wouldn't probably have been this much of a record shattering heat. And then these days that in the past used to be, you know, it's a heat wave, it's 94 in Seattle. Now maybe that heat wave is 97, 98. Maybe the heat wave that only happens two times a year is now happening three or four times a year and it becomes cumulative that it's just, okay, well, each time we have a heat wave, there's impacts to that. It dries everything out. It makes, you know, wildfires more common and, and uh, it can start, you know, tapping water supplies. So yes, there could be a cumulative effect to it, but there is a, it's more of like, you know, long-term, you know, frequency and intensity, but not necessarily like, you know, it would have only been 87 degrees in Seattle had, you know, had a, climate change not been a thing, that probably wouldn't have been, you know, it still would have been hot without it. But right. it's it's a frequency, it's an intensity, but these anomalous things will probably still going to happen no matter what. It's just how anomalous will they be? I see. Now, are you
1: originally a Northwest guy or
0: where are you from originally? Yeah, I kind of, uh, I was born in Port Angeles. Right. Uh, my dad was uh, Coast Guard, so we moved around a bit as a kid, uh, you know, transferred around, but mostly West Coast. And then... Uh, so I kind of say I grew up on the Pacific coast, you know, Washington, Oregon, California, all the down there. And it, then uh, came back to Seattle for UW and have been there ever since.
1: And then your broadcasting career, can you tell me where
0: you, what stations you work for? Sure. Well, it's a short list. Um, I started working at Como right out of college. As soon as I graduated from UW, uh, I started working oh. with Steve Poole. And I was his weather producer. Actually, you talked about the maps with Jeff Renner. That's what I did with Steve Pool. My first first three years, you go in and tear the maps off the big printer, the dot matrix printer, and hang them up on the wall with a clipboard, and go from there. And then your internet became a thing, and I started writing on there. Most of my I've never been on TV. I've never been a broadcast uh, meteorologist. I've always been just online and kind of behind the scenes. But as the internet kept growing, um, I would write. The forecast online because Steve was like, you know, I've I've got this TV gig. If you want to write the weather, and he was great about that, of like, you know, no ego or anything, just you, know, you, you could go ahead, you know, write that's totally fine. And I would just take it and I would write the forecast online every day, and that's how people got to to know me and and hear me. And then it, you know, 2007, Como said, here, have a blog, and so I started writing weather stories almost every day, and then it just kind of went from there. And now more recently. Just in the last few months, I've accepted a job with Fox Weather and helping out Q13 here in town. So I'm still writing Seattle weather, and then I'll soon be writing about national weather as well. Oh, that's
1: very cool. Now, just for for the, the heat dome as it went down, you know, I was following you on Twitter. It seems like you didn't rest at all. For were you, were you up 24 hours a day there for a while? Or did it just, it was look like most that? just
0: looked like It most just looked like I was a couple hours of sleep in there. But it's like you know, weather happens. You, I want to be in the middle of it, and I know a lot of people you know, look to Twitter for help. And and it was very scary for some people. I know that, you know, parts of those areas in in southeastern King County were going over 110 degrees. And so many people here don't have air conditioning. And I could, you know, luckily, I live in Snohomish County near the water. So it, it was only 101 here. <laughs> so I kind of felt like, you know, as bad as it was, I was in a spot where it, it could have been much worse. But as i was watching the numbers come in that monday afternoon and it's just like okay 108 oh now it's 111 now it's 112 and some of these gauges they're unofficial we're reporting like 115 116 Mm. 117 i think officially the hottest temperature in the puget sound region was 113 uh, at maple valley and Darrington. wow but just i was trying to imagine just you know the people that were in these 113s and and they're not used to it and it had been over 100 degrees the two days before and just how how awful it was inside everyone's houses that couldn't get to a cooling center and just people that decided to tough it out and and you know it was hot here but it was you know i think about okay 101 here it was 12 degrees hotter than that in some places around here and just the, the hot wind blowing and well so i was really kind of hoping i could just get people through it you know i tried a little bit of humor in there just to kind of <laughs> keep it going and just like, not think about it. It's like, okay, all we have to do is run out the clock. And, and, you know, there was that, the part that doesn't get talked so much about the heat wave was how it ended. You know, later that day, you know, the Marine layer finally came, came in the East wind surrendered. It went over East of the mountains and the West wind came roaring in. And some of these places dropped, you know, 30, 40 degrees in the matter of a couple hours.
1: Wow that's that is I mean that's that's just crazy does that do anything does that damage anything about the uh, the, the
0: plants or animals
1: or is that is that its I own mean, kind of well, set of
0: trouble I guess it, I, I I'm not sure I didn't hear of any damage from the quick cooldown I mean we sometimes when we have heat waves they can end in a hurry here yeah but uh, the one where like Shelton was was crazy because they were I've got the stats in front of me here they were at 110. In late afternoon, and then at seven o'clock they were 106, and then the marine layer came in with a charge through the Chehalis Gap, and then it went. The next hour, eight o'clock, it was 80. At nine o'clock, it was 69, and then at ten o'clock, it was 64 degrees. The wind was blowing at 35 miles an hour, and it was raining. And I looked it up, and the wind chill was 59. (laughs) (laughs) That's almost terrifying. That
1: that that kind of a rapid change, unless especially if you didn't, if you think about sort of pre-contact times. To be just to not have any data, not have any reassuring person coming through some form of technology to go for it to be that hot. And then a few hours later. Almost like not quite freezing, but very cold and raining. that must that, yeah. I mean that's just that's, it makes my head spin thinking about that, I but not I
0: can't imagine
1: I somebody I saw a tweet from somebody saying, like whatever religion um, uh, worships the marine layer that that's the one I now believe in, or something <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was and what, what you said you know, you know the East wind surrendered. I love the imagery of the wind surrendering what what is what actually clicked, or what happened that made that that switch like that?
0: All right. So most of our heat waves involve a therm- something called a thermal trough. And it's sort of like the heat creates its own like almost like its own little low pressure center. But you have to think of it sort of like like a like a stripe on the weather map. It's like this vertical line and the air will flow toward that vertical line. You think of like the stripe of low pressure. So if you're if that line is to your west, it's going to draw in air from the east. So as long as the thermal trough sits west of of Seattle, we're going to get the east wind and cook when the thermal trough kind of moves right on top of you. That's when it's the most intense. And that's what was happening Monday afternoon As it was sitting right over the Puget Sound area. That's when we hit 113. But as that trough moves inland, it starts allowing west wind, which is that cooler wind off the ocean to the coast. So that's why the coast always you know, crashes their temperatures first. So that was part of the play by play on Monday was watching the coast cool down. Because, you know, Astoria cooled down that morning. Hoquiam cooled down around 1 or 2 o'clock. Forks was at 110 at 4 <laughs> o'clock. And then it was down to 61 a few hours later. So we're like, okay, here we go. And then my, my parents live in Port Angeles on the water. And they're calling me like, I could see the wind coming down the straight. of want keep It's like, okay, it's coming through there. But eventually that thermal trough jumps the mountains. And as soon as it goes over the Cascades, now that, barrier is gone the east wind is gone and the west wind can come rushing in and that's exactly what happened oh, that's very cool. and you'll see it go through the port angeles and you'll see it come through okay. the chehalis gap in shelton and that's why shelton dropped had that radical weather change of uh, what is it 46 degrees i think and yeah 46 degrees in <sighs> six hours i think it ended up being so that's, that's cool that's
1: amazing. That's true, and I like you. I like, I like the fact you mentioned your parents. You know, getting in touch from Port Angeles. I have. I'm the youngest of nine kids. A big family. a lot of family all over Western Washington. A few people in Eastern Washington. And even before the internet, we loved calling each other and talking about weather as it was underway. And it's it's so cool for people to be able to check in with each other and you know text back and forth about the temperatures where they are and everything. Especially if you have family on the other side of the mountains. And so that oh, the, yeah. the, the way technology has led us. I don't know, we all, before we had no choice, the weather's just here. And we all have to experience it, but there's something encouraging or something comforting knowing that we can kind of check in with each other and like follow someone like you on Twitter and kind of be aware of what's going on. So it's not like we're totally in the dark. So that's, that's, it's, it's a very hopeful way. So how, how can people follow you on Twitter if they want to see what you're doing?
0: Uh, I am at Scott Seattle Wicks. Scott is short for Scott Seattle weather. So uh, uh, Scott Seattle WX.
1: Got it. Okay. And yeah, I really encourage people to follow you because it's just a really awesome way to kind of keep in touch with what's going on. And you bring in the history and context just remarkably. It's really, it's really a nice thing to keep track of, far beyond just what's it going to be like tomorrow in terms of temperature and and rainfall or whatever. So, well, listen, Scott Sistek, you've been very generous with your time and congratulations on the new gig. And uh, thanks for sharing with us about this yet to be officially named event. I guess we're calling it Heat Dome 2021 or Heat Dome 21 or something. I don't know. Is there a name? (laughs) There's not an official name yet, is there?
0: I haven't seen one yet. I'm kind of surprised. Usually the internet's pretty clever when quick to the draw with these sort of things. But I think everybody was just so like melted. Like I think creativity was like <laughs> just not on anyone's brain right there is all. <laughs> and,
1: and I imagine it'll launch a thousand theses or a dissertations probably. Oh, we'll be learning about this for decades, I imagine.
0: Absolutely. I'm all sure right. lots of grad students will be covered for, right. for a while. All right. Thank you, Scott. Really appreciate
1: it. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Scott Sistek for speaking with me for this episode of Columbia Conversations from the Washington State Historical Society. Scott blogs about weather for Q13 in Seattle. He's also part of a soon-to-be-launched national initiative for Fox Weather. For more information about Columbia Magazine or to subscribe, please visit WashingtonHistory.org. I'm Felix Bunnell.